You're riding on the Denial Bus with Patty Crouch and Holly Gates. Okay, guys, I told you there'd be a part two, and now there's a part two. We have JoJo back. Welcome, JoJo, again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here tonight. I'm excited because we got Act One, and it was amazing. I love hearing people's stories, and your story is phenomenal. Um, And now I'm ready for Act Two, a brief intermission of a week, (laughs) and now we get Act Two. Um, I'm excited about this. So act two is essentially, what are you doing now? Um, I also want to hear more about foster club. Cause I know we kind of like hinted towards it, but I know you're still really involved in it, I believe. Um, or was, or I don't know. Okay. So tell us, okay. What are you doing now? So what I'm doing now is that there, there's a couple of different pieces. My, my main job that I do now, I work for fighting back Santa Maria Valley, which is a nonprofit over here in Santa Maria, California. And um, the job that I specifically do is I'm a program specialist. And what that means is a lot of the people that I work with are program specialists, but I specify in foster youth K through eighth grade, and I'm an education specialist more or less. So the kind of things that I help with is that I help provide tutoring. Um, I kind of, work with CWS and the school and the students to kind of help them bridge those gaps because we all know that CWS has their own acronyms and their own, you know, agenda and things that they're trying to get done, which is the safety of the child. CWS sounds like for a county social worker. Yes, child welfare services. Oh, child welfare. See, I automatically went to county social workers. I would flip the S&W. Okay. Yeah, there's so many so, acronyms, and depending on what area and talking you are, it's like IEPs have different ones, and then yes, foster care exactly. have different ones. And it's like everyone has to learn a different language. That's exactly what it's like. Sometimes I feel like, honestly, like I'm an interpreter between um, social services and the schools, right? They both kind of know, and they both have their things they need to get done in order to for the best of the child. So sometimes having that person kind of go between it's sort of really helpful to make sure we're not missing things or you know that they're being marked the right way in the school system there's a lot of little things that kind of go into it I feel like and just also working with all the different agencies that work with the foster children as they come into a new school placement so some of the things that um I've helped with as an example is that sometimes our foster youth are not always marked correctly in the school system because maybe they came in and um, it wasn't identified. The foster parent didn't, or resource parent didn't come out right and say like, oh, this is my foster child. They just enrolled them because that's what they were focused on. Or who knows what the circumstances is or the um, front front office person in the school just didn't know how to code the foster youth. So I think there's a lot of language there that, so we've kind of, found a way to the list gets sent to one person and then somebody else sends out an email saying, Hey, here's all our new foster youth. And it's so important that they're marked in our school system. So then they can get all the services that are available to them. Yeah. I, so like, yeah, this is new yeah. to me and I, okay. You're in San Marino County, right? Santa Barbara County, Santa Barbara County. So maybe mm-hmm. LA and I don't know if LA has this because this is, you were telling me, and I was like, what? They could have gotten this? Like, what? It was new to me. But I'm assuming L.A. County probably has some of the same things. So when a child gets marked as, it sounds, I feel bad saying marked anyways. But, okay, when a child goes into, like, gets enrolled into a school, and if they are, you know, classified as a foster child, they automatically should be able to receive resources. And that's where you come in. You come in at the beginning going, okay, we need to get this child set up with X, Y, and Z. Is that accurate? So, 
Well, kind of. It depends per county, I think, what services are available, but there usually someone is at the district that is like a foster youth liaison, so to say. And they want to have somebody there so that child doesn't fall through the cracks. And now it's not always like they have these specific services that are available in our county. And I can only speak for that. And it's sense. specifically in our, dis- like our, you know, our district, we have tutoring that we do. So that may pr- be provided through another agency. So every county could be set up differently. So I can't really speak to what everybody else is doing with their resources, but this is specifically how our county has allotted some of it and specifically Santa Maria. So Fighting Back is a nonprofit. It doesn't just work with foster youth. We work with homeless. We work with kids who are kind of like, um, if they're missing school and uh, they're about to go before the board and they need to um, go before SARB, which is like a school board that says, hey, what's going on? Why why are you guys missing so much school? Um, Fighting Back has people who kind of walk with the students and the families and help, you know, figure out how to get them to go to school more consistently. We do drug and alcohol prevention um, and a lot of different kind of things. There's youth groups and they have a lot of different things that are available, but we specifically also work with foster youth. So I'm the K through eight, K through eighth grade program specialist. And there are also program specialists for high schools. In the high school unit, there's one at each of the high schools in Santa Maria. That's awesome. That's yeah. Amazing. So it again, so it kind of varies in the kind of, you know, how they do it in different counties. And I don't think everywhere has a fighting back per se. That makes sense. Or someone that's, you know, specified for that. So a lot of the times I'll go to child family team meetings. Um, and sort of just say like, hey, here's some resources that I know of that are in our community that could help this family. Here's what I could provide for them. And we all kind of come around the table and see what's the best way to serve this family. But the way that I specifically fill the role is, again, through education. So some, let's say a child is attending school in one county or one school, they were at one school, and they get placed in a home that's on the other side of town. We help to set up busing or even provide transportation until busing is set up. What's busing? Um, like, what's busing? busing would be, so if the child attends one school where they would normally be, because it's broken up into districts depending, or, you know, like areas where uh-huh. you, your student goes to school, Right. So let's say they're on one side of town. Where let's just say, the they, go to, let's just say they go to Madison Elementary School. I'm just making up names. They go to Madison yes. Elementary School. They get placed with a new foster care home. Mm-hmm. And they're now like going 15 to. 15 minutes away. 15 minutes away. So now going to. They're now zoned for Roosevelt Elementary School. Okay. Yes, exactly. And so what I would do is I would go and help Madison set up busing to get them from Roosevelt to Madison, you know, to be able to do that because a foster child has rights to stay in their school of origin if and when it is possible because it's the stability piece. Gotcha. So you work with the district to see, okay, where should this child be best placed? Is it better for them to stay at their current school? Is it better for them to stay at the other school? And then kind of be the liaison and make sure that that happens. So you kind of are there to protect the child's rights and then also be there for the family to make sure they're getting services. So if the kid's falling behind because they've been placed too many places and you're helping with tutoring or you're finding places where they can get tutoring. and Yes. So I may services. not tell the district, hey, they should be placed here. What I will help them do is help make sure, like, if I have filled in for transportation until busing got set up, for example. I have, you know, transported a child from Roosevelt to Madison to make sure they got to their school of origin. So I'm a support person in the process of it all helping and helping to problem solve it and kind of saying, okay, where, how can we fill this in? I think of it as like a bridge builder, a problem solver, 
and all the little things we see come up that people don't see going on behind the curtains of when a foster youth is moved, of when they enter into care, of yeah. those first couple of weeks, you know, if they're moved in the middle of their school year and all these different things that we didn't think about that go on, you know, there's a lot that goes on beyond the curtains and a lot of people in moving pieces. And I feel like my piece is really to help support that, make sure the child doesn't fall through the cracks and make, to help us make everybody sort of things to flow better for everyone. Make it go as smoothly as it possibly can because it's already a traumatic experience happening. Exactly. Exactly. And so I really love what I do. And um, through this agency, I've been able to learn about something called CRIM community resilience model, and I'll just touch briefly on it. So basically, I became a CREM teacher. And what it is, is just kind of learning how to read the nervous system and tools that you can give to somebody to be more resilient, and teaching them about their own resilient zone that they have, right? Right. And um, through this uh, resiliency model, I've been able to work with the foster youth our K through eighth graders with some of them and sort of just teach them these different skills. And it's just been an amazing experience. And I've been so happy to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, and the other piece that I also do is that I mentor foster youth that are coming out of the foster care system. Okay. So, um, what that sort of looks like is I've either connected with them through, because I've, I've just been in our community for a long time, helping foster youth in one form or another. So I've worked with a lot of different people, but um, the ones who are aging out of the system, yeah, I've had a chance to connect with quite a few over the years, um, just over the past 10, 15 years, and I've had a chance to see that there was just sort of this need where they just needed someone to kind of guide them what life was going to be looking like if they needed, you know, just advice on different things. And so I would just walk alongside of them, you know, I would just do life with them. And yeah, sometimes that means... if they're not in a good, I don't want to say good home, but they're not in a home that's kind of going to walk with them forever, even though they're not adopted or whatever happening. Mm-hmm. Like, I, what do these kids do? Like, it's 18. You're 18 years old. You're still not really an adult. Like, you don't know what the hell's going on, <laughs> Like you know? Like, how do they just get I, – I can't imagine who I was at 18 was this crazy, like, immature person. Like, I wouldn't be able to pay rent or know where to – how to get the gas bill set up for buying, you know, for my apartment. Like, I, there would be so many things that I would need help with. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's awesome that you kind of have a heart for these kids that are aging out so that you can kind of be there for them, not only for the logistics stuff, but also for the mental, like a friend, you know, or someone more than a friend, like a a mentor, like you keep saying, a mentor. Yeah, and somebody who just does life. And I mean, we don't always say like, oh, I'm your mentor and always like identify it that way, I would say. (laughs) That would be really awkward. Hi, can I be your mentor? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> we kind of just walk alongside and do life together. And then I actually have had some students say like, hey, I could really use a mentor. And, you know, I've walked with them over the years and we still keep in contact and they're just like doing phenomenal. Um, some of them are parents now. They're, they've gone off to college or they're all just kind of doing their own thing. But um the amazing thing is there's been this beautiful community that sort of has come up around it. And just this recognizing that you need somebody to do life with, but when you've been hurt so much and you have all these walls that you've built up and you have these ideas of what asking for help really means that you could be a burden to someone or that you don't want to come off as another statistic. It's really hard sometimes to reach out or open up or to not feel like somebody's going to break that trust. So it's really hard to know who you can do that with. But sometimes when you know somebody else has gone through the same thing as you, it's a little easier to at least 
let that wall down a little bit to say, okay, like I really do need someone just to talk to. I really do just need somewhere to maybe even if it's stay the night or I, I need advice about my child or whatever, a relationship advice, whatever it is, you know, or just someone to walk alongside me while I go grocery shopping. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's all the little things and the big things. Um, no, but you'd be sense. amazed. It makes sense how much of a, a deeper level of trust you've gone, you get when you know that someone understands on the level of, what's the word? Like the level of living through it. Like my, the way my, I can only think of the way my husband says it, which is a weird way. He's a martial arts instructor and he's like, oh, nice. He's like, I don't trust anyone that I haven't punched in the face or and hasn't punched me in the face. Because there's like this level, like, well, that's what it kind of comes down to. It's like, well, I've been punched in the face. You've been punched in the face. We're good. Like, you understand what it feels like to yes. be punched in the face. We got each other at a level that other people aren't going to understand. So Yeah. And, and there's weird things that come up. Conversation that, like, I don't think people think about, you know. There's family privilege that's involved and like you get all your friends asking you, oh, so what are you doing for Christmas? Or what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And you don't have the family you're going home to. So then it's like, oh, I'm hanging out, you know, like, yeah. like, or oh, I'm going over to my friend's house. There's just subjects that come up, you know, and we even have discussion around that sometimes. Like, what do we say? Like, you know, do we have to? tell all all the time and it's like no we really don't we can just oh I'll be hanging out I'll be having a Thanksgiving you know just finding other language or figuring out how to deal with those hard times when the holidays come around I think there's a lot of interesting conversation that comes up that you just don't think about the actual effects from foster care as you're living your everyday life that makes complete sense because at a certain point I was thinking about this too. At a certain point, your friends don't know your parents anymore. You know, yeah. like there's a point where like someone meets me and they've never met my parents. They don't even think about my parents because I'm the parent now, you know? So yeah. Then that part of your life doesn't necessarily come up all the time anymore, but it's still part of who you are. And then it probably is. There probably is these moments where you're like, oh, okay. It's interesting, like family privilege, like you said. Yeah, and and the thing is, is that, you know, after you've aged out, most of the time, you know, that 18 to, let's say, 25 before people start having kids. And, of course, people have kids young. I'm not saying that. Yeah, But But, um, that in-between time, like that 18 to 25, you're still talking about where you're going home for the holidays. What are you doing? You're still calling mom and dad for stuff. Like you still have that yes. safety net, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I just remember even in those years, um, like thinking some of my friends like went out on their own and they didn't, you know, always quite make it. They had to go, you know, they went home and they washed their laundry at their parents' house. Or, you know, if they were short on rent, they could go borrow money. And I remember thinking like, who, wait, where there's money. You guys just borrow money from people. They do that for you. Like that's a thing. <laughs> I never thought. And it's not that I, you know, she's my adopted mom. Not that she would have ever not let me money. She definitely would have. It was just like, not even a thought in my brain. It wasn't even like a possibility to me, like to do that. It wasn't even a thought of, like, go over and wash my clothes over there. Not because I wasn't welcomed, but because, like, that wasn't, I I didn't think like that. I don't know how to put it other than that. Even trying to say it now, I feel like I'm a little bit of a loss for words. What I feel, I've seen some of my friends do, they just, like, take their laundry over to their parents' house. I'm like, What? Like, what are you doing? Well, you've always, always, I don't want to say, I'm putting words into your mouth so you can tell me. Nope, that's not it at all, Patty. You're crazy. But I feel (laughs) like you've always been taking care of yourself 
So the idea of someone taking care of this mundane task after you're quote unquote an adult seems kind of ridiculous. You know? Yes. Like yes. I I, and- I I under I, I hope the listeners are figuring it out too, but like it makes sense to me like how you've always taken care of yourself, so why just make people do, what? Like that's it, it makes sense. Yeah. And it makes me want to make sure that my daughters that I raise my daughters and it's their story's different because they've been with me since they were nine months old. But I hope that they I raise my daughters and my son to in such a relationship where they feel like they can, you know, like that, that is, I I want them to have that family privilege, I guess is what I'm trying to say of them knowing yeah, that they can come and, home and borrow money and they know that they can, you know, probably won't have any money to, for them to borrow, but that, that they can do laundry at our house. I'm not going to do it for them though. So you know what's old. funny? I will say, I will say this, and this is, this is weird for me to say over the last, and it took me a really long time to get here like a really long time so I would say over the last five to seven years I've come to that place where I could go over to my dad's house and be like hey can you help me with this I can go over to my mom's house and and need something or like walk into the house and open the fridge and just take something as I have gotten more comfortable with who I am mm-hmm. and have thought after my healing and have had my children and have had that like deep desire to need them to have grandchildren. I mean, grandparents, like I've learned to let people help me. I've learned to not feel like a burden that that's the way they want to show me love. Yeah. But it was ingrained, not because somebody, you know, for years when I was in foster care, no one loved me. It wasn't about that. But those early years when you're scarred, and I will say scarred, those hell that you walk through, uh-huh. the fire that you walk through, those scars don't just go away. Yeah. And and learning mentally to be okay and tell yourself you're not a burden, this is the way people love, is really hard sometimes. Okay. And to say that to people is even harder. Oh. I don't know if that made sense. It does make sense. It completely makes sense to me. Okay. Someone had to tell me once that you have to let people do things for you because then you're robbing them of being kind and generous and love yeah. you kind of thing. Yeah. Like I'm for biblical terms. I'm like a, to- like Martha and Mary. I'm totally like a serve, 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 serve. But at the same time you have to stop so that someone else can serve you or you're robbing people of being able to do that and show you Christ kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it you're makes feeling their blessings. Yeah. So, to say. so I, it makes complete sense. I'm curious and this, this, okay. How I feel like, how did kids change or heal or I don't even know what the question is, but I feel like there's something there that you said that sparked the, like a curiosity in me about, when you become a mom and you have kids, like, that's how much you give them, like, changes you. How much you sacrifice for them, how much you, like, love them, and how much you're, like, the unconditional love. Like, it taught me a new way of loving. Not even, like, me loving my husband. Like, it just, there's this, it's just a different kind of love. And I wonder if that opened up your eyes to be like, whoa, like, I need to let people do this for me. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense. Yes. Like, yeah, it does. I I would say it's like, like layers. So with, with every event or 
like every moment, you know, and every conversation I had with somebody telling me I was worth it and that they were doing this not because I was a burden, but because they wanted to bless me or to give to me or to invest in me. And I still struggle when people want to help me with things sometimes, especially like if I, I just don't, I, I don't know always how to respond or am I, am I doing it the right way? But right. But going back to that child, to, to the child part and like, how do they grow through that? I think it's just the consistency of teaching them that it's okay to connect. It's okay to be loved. It's okay to need help. It's okay to fail because we're going to be here to help pick you back up. So, and every step that I took closer to that. So what I mean by that is as every mentor who mentored me in my life, every time I accepted help without having needing to give something back, every conversation where I had where I was told I, I was worth it and I was worthy of love, all of those things tore away at little pieces of this mentality I built up, you know, of what I thought of myself, how I viewed myself, what I thought others viewed of me, whether it was conscious or subconsciously. And just like, you know, for me, Christ has been a huge part of my healing. I wouldn't be the person I am today without Jesus. That's just that there's no way around that statement for me personally. Right. And so with even going deeper with my spirituality and people that have come in and out of my life has forced me to grow. So like when I got married, um, when I let somebody, even before that, when I let somebody adopt me, uh, when I had someone walk me down the aisle, these are all significant moments where I'm letting my guard down to see is somebody really going to come out back out and hurt me again. And if they do, I put my guard back up. I can turn it on and off still to this day, you know, and, and that, that force field is almost like it's a security blanket, but the more and more I come out of my security blanket, I can leave it a little further away. If that makes sense. You know, you think of, you know, your child with their binky or their stuffed animal or their whatever it is. And as they grow older and they forget, one night to fall asleep with it and then they forget they leave it in the living room when they went to go play in their room slowly they start letting what they think they need all the time they start letting that go and they grow into something new and so I kind of feel like it's that it's like one layer coming away at a time and when I did have my children it taught me and it brought up a lot of insecurities actually. So I think it was twofold is that as I had my child, it was like this overwhelming need to protect and love them. And all at the same time, feel like I was going to fail. Like, Oh my God, I don't know how to be a mother. Yes. I have had mother figures and I've had an amazing mom, but that insecurity of my mom failed me, my biological mom failed me. I am going to fail this child was I, I don't know why, but it, and even now it will still creep up. Yeah. Like, you know, like, Oh, like, did I just do something to ruin them? <laughs> I think that feeling's there for most moms, but there's like this added piece, you know, especially with my mom's mental illness, like, Oh my gosh. Like, Am I going to just like wake up one day and like if I yell when I shouldn't have, when I, you know, I think that, or I push too hard on my child, meaning like maybe I feel like I'm pushing him too much to do something like you can do better. Am I pushing too hard? (laughs) I don't know. Intriguing to me because your insecurity comes like you're going to, like, are my failing at this? And you have evidence that it's in your quote-unquote genes to fail like you know you're your mom you you know the more the older you get the more you're like your mom the more you turn into your mom you know so I can see how that would be strong for you which is interesting because for me my insecurities is that I'm going to fail 
because these kids aren't biologically mine, so my instinct isn't there. Which is Got it. So, it's so weird because it's, both of us are just feeling like we're failing, <laughs> which we're not. Yeah. We're badass mothers. Don't get us wrong. Yes. But it's yes. so interesting that, exactly. and I'm pretty sure if I talk to someone who, who has a, like a biological kid and whose parents didn't fail them, they probably feel like they're failing for another reason. You know, like right. in the end, I feel like That's we true. just all feel like we're failing at it because we want. In the end, we all feel like we're failing at it because in the end, we don't want to fail at it because we love our kids so much that we yeah. don't want to. And yeah. once again, even though we walk all these different paths and we have all these different stories, it all comes out we're not alone. We're all feeling like we're failing. And we're all not. Like, majority. Okay? <laughs> right. some, maybe some. But majority, <laughs> like 99.5% are not, you know? So yeah, that's just so fascinating to me. Oh my gosh! All right, and I was told like you know if if you're a mom who's like really concerned like am I feeling and you're trying and you're putting in that effort and you're there day in day out, th- then you're doing exactly what a mother should do. Yes, and I'm, I'm like, oh hey, then you know what? I must be really great because I worry probably more than I need to. <laughs> I probably like over protect my children I probably should let them do certain things it's the moms that think they're not failing or the ones that aren't having these conversations or like having that (laughs) mental I call it mental gymnastics where you're like I'm failing no I'm not I'm doing this and it's like you have to like have this like whole entire like mental gymnastics in your brain about it all the people who aren't doing that are the ones that are probably like clueless which are the ones that are like probably failing you know what I'm saying so if you're, asked, <laughs> yeah. if you're concerned about this and you're thinking these things and you're processing through these things then you're pretty much a badass mom like you know yeah. so yeah exactly exactly and I think it's so funny with the instinct thing and I I actually worried about my instincts kicking in too as a parent like I was like what if I don't know what to do? Like, you know, they always talk about like that, like sixth eye or that sixth sense that a mom has, you know, you hear it all of the time. Like my mom just knew. I'm like, what if like God forgot to put that in me? Like, what if he was just like, no, you don't, you don't need that. Like, I don't know. Right. Um, but then you just realize it's you're watching them so much and you're paying so much attention to what is going on there's no way like you can miss certain things now of course you're going to miss things but like the ones that you the big moments you need to worry about or even if you know your child does fall or something happens like you're there within an amount of time to make it okay you know and so that's the part that I just always have to constantly I think battle with myself as you said mental gymnastics like it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be okay. Olaf says that in Frozen too. Everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, I need to make that. Oh, I love tone. Olaf. I know he's one of my right? <sighs> Crazy. He's the best. Um, okay. Tell us about, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Although that was an amazing conversation. I just, I, I always get so inspired when I realize that, the thought that I had that I that I feel like I struggle by myself ends up being like this universal struggle because then we all aren't alone. And that's one of the things I love about this podcast is that I really want people to know and feel that they're not alone. You know, like I, we're here regardless if you're just listening to us on your iPod. Um, For sure. So what is exactly was you mentioned last in, in your act one foster club. So what exactly is that? Okay, so Foster Club, Foster Club is phenomenal, and I am not involved with them now as much as as I would want to be. Um, I'm I'm not in like I'm. They have a saying: all once a Foster Club, always a Foster Club. Like once an all star, always an all star. So Foster Club, I feel like is like at the heart of my advocacy journey, just because I started with them and I love the work they do but they're a national organization um, for youth by youth 
And uh, what that means is that they do a lot of work around policy and they've probably changed up a lot of the stuff they do. So I would say go and check them out, fosterclubs.org or .com and you can find them. They have this program called the All-Stars where they train up um, alumni from foster care. So if people have come out of the foster care system, they train them up in how to share their story and how to advocate for foster youth rights, um, how to do trainings. Like, so they have different types of trainings. I don't know all of the ones and they've probably renamed them because it was, I was a foster club all-star, gosh, back in 2004. And I went around with them and they taught me how to share my story. And they, I went and I traveled the country like nationwide doing all these foster youth conferences and it's where I learned about permanency um and it's where I finally came to a realization that I had a forever family that I wanted to make a connection with so they have a really special place in my heart um but they do some amazing work around just building foster youth voice more or less and you know, encouraging and plugging in foster youth as they leave care. And also they have like trainings they would go and do, um, you know, before the COVID where they, they taught about different like life skills or they gave voice to a subject where foster youth voice wasn't involved. That's the way that I, I think of what they do amazing um and it is fosterclub.com yeah. so if you do want to yeah. check it out um that's amazing yeah i feel like there's so many good things out there and then yet there's like i didn't know any of that like i did not know it existed at all yeah and i honestly i'm probably not even doing their organization like justice <laughs> um but i I absolutely adore the work they do. And I I just love, there is a saying that I learned when I was an all-star that is nothing for us without us. So no bills or laws that are made or organizations, you should have foster youth voice involved because we are the experts, because yeah. we have the lived experience. We have lived through it. We know what it's like. We have been there. So all of their, all the all-stars have lived experience in one form or another. And they use that to make their workshops. They use that to, you know, run different programs. It's all based off of foster youth experience. That's amazing, so that's though, because, I mean... But I love what they do. You got to talk to the people who are affected before, like by what's happening in order to know what to change, in order to know what is the benefit to them and be efficient, you know? It makes sense to include them. Yeah. And I love that they're giving foster youth a voice. Um, I mean, I always felt yeah. as a foster parent, like, that was my role. Like, my role was to be the voice for Lexi and Zandy because they were nine months old. Like, they weren't going to be able to say anything, you know? Like, I was the one exactly. needed to say, this is what's going on in their life. This is what they need, all this stuff, you know? And mm -hmm. same with Jackson. And it's, I mean, foster care has taught me as a foster parent how much to advocate and be the voice for the voiceless, you know? Um, and then that allows me to do that even further with my special needs son, you know? And my daughters who need a lot of advocating with the dyslexia and stuff. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, that's amazing that they're, they're doing it, like, straight hand. Like, let's just go straight to the foster youth and teach them how to advocate for themselves and help them mentor each other. And, oh, that's amazing. Awesome. For sure. Awesome. For awesome. sure. So, yeah. Okay, so okay. you have a, I mean, I, I totally understand. You have to, you know, you start having your family, you start doing, 
I mean, you have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Like, how – I already am tired sometimes when you're like, I'm doing this and this and this. I'm like, oh, what? I barely made breakfast this morning. <laughs> like, um, so what's – so all I have to say is that I'm excited that you told us about it so that people can go check it out. And understand yes. why you can no longer be working with them because you're now working fighting with fighting back, you know? Um, yes, yes. And I and I still like I'm still connected on their all star page and I still support everything they do and um there's some even workshops that I, I've gotten from them that I'll teach to foster youth that I work with. So That's that's awesome. Okay, so what what's in the future besides, you know, raising two boys to be amazing men? You know, because that's, well, you know, that's, that's a, that's a small future? little thing in your life that's, you know, so important. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, I've always had, uh, like, um, how I was telling you, like, the mentoring that I sort of just came by naturally because I saw that there was a need, kind of just filled in for it. And my adopted mom still does foster care. So sometimes I was able to go by her house and I'd make connections. She does strictly teenagers so I would be able to make connections with some of those teenagers if I didn't already know them through one of the jobs that I've had over the years working with foster cares in different arenas um so I say all that to say that I saw there was this need that some of these students as they're leaving foster care they need someone to kind of walk and do life with like I was talking about and one of the things I'm really hoping moving forward is um we kind of created, I would say it's like a club or just kind of something that we've we've just made up on our own. We call Awakening Giants. And it's sort of where we get together. And like I said, we do life together. For the last four years, we've done something like a, friend, a Friendsgiving um, the week before Thanksgiving. And we've partnered with our local community college who has totally supported it and brought in food and invited their, um, you know, foster youth students out to it and I invite the people that I know. And um, we've had local businesses who have supported us, like the bowling alley who has allowed us to go do bowling and everybody brings their kids or whoever they identify as family. And we all did bowling together. Um, I've had my own nonprofit, like, um, fighting back. They've supported it and bringing to like a conference. We went to the purple conference last year and it's where, um, they have all these different classes and life skills. And, um, and it was in, in Ohio last year and they got to, do all these really great classes about life skills and different things. And I sat on a panel and spoke just about, you know, being in foster care. So it was really great being able to have the girls that I was mentoring come with me and see that work that I'm doing and walk with them. And one of them was a young, you know, was a single young mom. And she's like, this is amazing. I want to do this work. So we've sort of been walking together. So I guess in the future, I'd like to be able to do more of that maybe have it be a little bit more organized and help them to tell their story and give a platform, a community, create a community around it. Um, I want to say almost like a support group where we invite our our local community to come in and, you know, if they connect with somebody, they could mentor one of the young adults coming out of foster care and kind of do life with us. And maybe there would be a natural mentorship that happened there that's kind of one of the things that I see moving forward. And also um, I've had the opportunities to speak at different places and share my story. I'd love to do more of that and also train up those who want to share their story. I want them, I want to be able to train them up how to share their story well and to be able to do, and what I mean by that is to do it in a way that they're not re-traumatizing themselves. Yes that they can share what they want to share and know their boundaries around their story. And they can do it in a way that's well-spoken and well-versed and they're comfortable with it. And, you know, that they're well-prepped. They know the questions to ask. They know why they're there. They know what they want to share and what they don't want to share. 
um, because sharing your story can be a very intimate, personal thing. And I think that a lot of the times when you have had your voice taken from you or you have not had the opportunity or been given the stage to share, we can sometimes overshare because we're so eager for our voices to be heard. And then once the excitement dies down, it's like, why did I do that? So my hope is that for those that I walk with that want to share their stories, I can help them to do that well. And I can give them a space where they feel safe and that they can grow and connect um, in a healthy way with people in our community. So not just teaching them to be independent, but teaching them to be interdependent. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. So I don't know if that really answered the question, but. Oh, there's no right or wrong answer here. It's just us talking about what's going on. But I know I I, uh, see immediately I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And then I realize like you're far and I have three kids that are crazy. Um, But I I love it. I love it. I feel like there's so many like, I don't say chapters in foster care, I guess is a way to put it. And I feel like that chapter that's often missed is the chapter of being aged out and like being able to be mentored and being able to have a place to call home. One of my friends who's a, a alumni in foster care as well, she was like, that was the hardest part was like not, not having a place to go home to, you know, at this point I already realized I wasn't going to have a family. So that didn't bother me. It, but it was like I constantly be reminded of these little things that were different. So that's amazing that possibly creating that community where they don't feel alone, you know, and that they have people walking with them so they do have a place to come home to. And maybe it's not a permanency forever home, but it's still something for the transition. And then yeah. then telling their story, because, I mean, I, that's another reason why I do this podcast, because I I love hearing people's story. And what it's about and where the, how it's changed them and shaped them to who they are, you know. So I feel like the more that, sure. that foster kids who have a harder story can do it in a way that's not triggering, but instead empowering, it would be huge. That's awesome. Awakening giants. You gotta, that's, a, that's exciting. I'm excited. I'm excited for you. Can't wait to hear more about it as things go on and it progresses and becomes a giant. Yes. And we do have this event that I've, we've done kind of like yearly that I have loved. It's called beauty from the inside out. And it started sort of just as it's been all girls so far. And I had conversations with people around different things. I really wanted to do for these young ladies And one of them was just to help them to see how resilient and beautiful they are, you know, from the inside out. And so we had a salon that would stay open and they got free haircuts, had a professional photographer come out and take their pictures. So they got to take home, you know, their pictures. It was like a little photo shoot. And um, we had a meal together and we just sort of broke bread and talked. And then we had women who came out and spoke to the girls, like as they're having lunch, as we've all been hanging out all day and kind of just, and everybody has, who's part of it has been in care. So they're alumni and we kind of just do this event. And then, you know, afterwards we all talk about like, how did that help us? What was, what was helpful? What would we like to see more of? And it's sort of grown over the years and they get to go home with like beauty products and things like that. And then the next event following up to that was sort of, they help to plan the next one or we talk about, um, you know, we go a little bit deeper. Uh, we had once where the women, like different women came and manned a station and then instead of get them getting their makeup done and getting their hair done, they learned how to do these skills or, you know, talked more about it. So one person taught them, you know, their favorite cookie and they got to bake cookies and they hung out and it was like four or five stations 
and we just spent the day rotating that. So they're broken up to groups and they rotated through these different women's stations. And we just got to hang out with them. That's all they knew. And then the next piece was a lot of those girls continue to walk with me and they're the ones who helped me put on the next event the following year. And so that last piece is kind of then about giving back in ways they can do that. So even if it's not helping with, you know, an Awakening a Giant event, um, it's plugging them in somewhere or helping them to their next whatever goal they want to get to. So that is one thing that I'm hoping this year, you know, we still get to do that. Yeah. Stupid COVID. Yes. Yeah. But we shall see. In the end, you're just loving these people who you know because you know them because of your story. And you're helping them love others because of their story, which then makes the story also much more worth it. Yes, yes. And and you start to see. Um, they start bringing other people around too. You know, they're like, oh, I wasn't care with this person. And all of a sudden, you just have this group of really awesome young adults learning to do life together and figuring it out. <laughs> I don't know how it happens every time, but it does. Oh, God's so good. You're, you're doing great things. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you for letting me share. No, I, uh, I love it. Um, thanks for being willing to share. I mean, that's a whole other thing, too, is that vulnerability is putting yourself at risk for being judged and hurt, you know, and it takes vulnerability to share an intimate story, you know, and it takes vulnerability for these girls to even go to one of these events and feel safe and do all that stuff. So thanks for being that safe space for them as well. Ah, good stuff. Lots Thank of you. Good stuff. All right. Well, we're going to say good night for this episode um, there's still possibly some more. I'm not going to say too much just because, well, you know me, I sometimes don't follow through. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I, Jojo, I just appreciate who you are completely. So thank you for sharing and being here and vulnerable and you're just doing great things. Thank you. Thanks for riding on the denial bus. But your stop's coming up. You're going to have to get off. Get back to the real world. Life. Don't worry. You got this. 